1: Welcome once again to another episode of The Sports Beat with Richard Holdridge. How is everybody doing on this election day? This is episode 499. Just a reminder that you are listening to us on WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key, and we are brought to you by Ivy Park Sports Bar Grill, which I'm going to be at tonight. I'm going to do my live show and my 500th episode there tonight, Christie's Cafe, the Man in the Mirror podcast, and a local grounds coffee company. The Atlanta Hawks are rolling. They got a big victory over the best team in the NBA, beating the Milwaukee Bucks last night. Going to get into that. And tonight, we do have the college football rankings. I know it's a big night in our country. A lot of people are going to be watching election coverage. My show tends to take a little bit of a decline when election coverage happens. But I'm going to do a show anyway. I'm excited. I'm pushing through to try to get to my 500th episode. But we do have a great show for you because I'm going to have Justin Dale on the show. We're going to recap everything that happened over the weekend in the state of Georgia. He is my Georgia Braves-Falcons correspondent. Of course, the Braves are in the offseason season. Got some awards that they could be winning pretty soon. Congratulations to the Houston Astros for winning their second World Series in five years. Are the Houston Astros a dynasty? That's the question. I am also going to have my broadcast partner and co host, Corey Bank, on the show for the Daily Dash. Let's get right into the latest sports headlines. Exciting time yesterday as it's the start of college basketball season. I'll get into some of the games, but let's start with the NBA. The Atlanta Hawks get the 117-98 victory over the Milwaukee Bucks, and they did this without Trey Young. DeJounte Murray scored 25 points, and they got a huge effort from the rookie A.J. Griffin. Coming off the bench, he had 31 minutes. He scored 24 points, shot 10 of 15. And the Atlanta Hawks are now seven and three. They drop the Milwaukee Bucks to nine and one. Now I know it's early in the NBA season, but some of the surprises include the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are eight and two right now. The Bucks are nine and one. They have the best record in the Eastern Conference. Atlanta seven and three. And then you've got some struggling teams in the Eastern Conference, to include the Brooklyn Nets, who just fired their head coach Steve Nash. They're four and seven. And then the Miami Heat, who are 4-7. Now, I did not get into the whole Kyrie Irving suspension thing over the weekend. I mean, it's just too political. Everybody's got an opinion on it. He tweeted a controversial movie. Kyrie Irving is going to do what he's going to do. He is a different, unique type of player. And you got to take what Kyrie Irving does with a grain of salt. But looking over in the Western Conference a huge, surprising team. They have the best record in the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz, nine and three. I did not see this coming. After losing Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, you just lost your two superstars, and you're nine and three. This is incredible what the Utah Jazz are doing. No surprise that the Phoenix Suns are seven and three. Portland seven and three. Denver seven and three. I am shocked that the Golden State Warriors are four and seven. Now. They did have a five game losing streak where they went on the East Coast. I mean, who is doing the scheduling? You schedule five straight games on the East Coast, the Warriors will figure it out. I know that it's early, but they are able to beat Sacramento. They get the win 116 to 113 at home. The Jazz, the best team in the Western Conference, beat the helpless Los Angeles Lakers 139 to 116. Now, the Lakers were playing without LeBron. But look at the Lakers. They're 2-8. and eight. They have got to figure this out. I don't think that they can make a big trade because they don't have the pieces to give away. They don't have the draft picks to give away. If you're a Lakers fan, you could be optimistic about maybe a Kendrick Nunn or a Lonnie Walker that maybe they could develop into a good player. But the Lakers don't have shooters. They're inconsistent. Russell Westbrook, he's putting up good numbers, but he's coming off the bench. Anthony Davis had a decent game, 29 points. But when is the bleeding going to stop for the Lakers? It's getting out of hand, and I think the Lakers are in trouble. I thought that maybe, just maybe, that Darvin Ham would be the right coach in this system, but I am not buying it. Monday Night Football last night, the Baltimore Ravens defeat the helpless New Orleans Saints, 27-13, Kenyon Drake leading the way with two rushing touchdowns for the Ravens. And I was rooting for Lamar Jackson to put up big fantasy numbers because the guy I was playing in fantasy football, we had two players left. He had Patrick Mahomes and I had Lamar Jackson, and he beat me. And so I am losing in my fantasy football league. Uh, My team is actually depleted. I had several key players on a bye College basketball last night, not too many upsets. The only upset that I've noticed is Florida Gulf Coast. The alma mater of my co-host, Corey Bank, upset USC. They beat their old coach, Andy Enfield. Remember him? He led Florida Gulf Coast to the Sweet 16 back in 2013. They were a 15 seed. So congratulations to the Houston Astros, winning the World Series, beating the Phillies in six And I'm happy for Dusty Baker. At age 73, he becomes the oldest manager to win a World Series. And I've always been a fan of Dusty Baker when he managed the San Francisco Giants from 1993 to 2002. And it's all part of destiny. He was the right manager to come into a bad situation. The whole Astros cheating scandal, I know that it's behind them. But what they have done, this is a dynasty. They have made it to the ALCS six straight years. They've made it to four World Series appearances. And they have two World Series in the last five years. So congratulations to the Astros. They had a parade yesterday. That was quick. And now we are going into the offseason for Major League Baseball. We should have some awards coming up. We also have the start of high school basketball tonight. The River Dragons are taking on the... Watertown Wolves this Friday night on Veterans Day at the Columbus Civic Center. The River Dragons are looking great. They are 4-1 and right now. And if you look at what they did against the Mississippi Sea Wolves, getting the sweep on the road. So, so far they lead the Mississippi Sea Wolves 3-1. to They played them all four times on the road. And they defeated the Mississippi Sea Wolves 10-5 and 5-4. Austin Doe is leading the River Dragons with 13 points. Alex Storjahan is your current goal-scoring leader with five goals. And they have some surprises. Kirk Underwood and Michael Grico both with four goals. I like the mixture of veteran players that the River Dragons have, and they're including some of the newcomers. And the Civic Center is going to be lit. I hope to see a lot of fans out there. But if you can't make it to the game, you can listen to Tom Callahan on the broadcast the radio station where I do this podcast is a flagship station for the Columbus River Dragons, so you can listen to the game on 99.1 WQEE. Congratulations to the Columbus State Lady Cougars soccer team for getting the overall number one seed in the NCAA tournament. That is going to kick off this Friday as they take on North Georgia College. Uh, they did fall to Flagler in the Peach Belt Conference, but their record is was able to get them an overall number one seed, and Columbus State are going to have home games in the Southeast Regional. So, so congratulations to them. All right, I think it's time to bring on my co-host and broadcast partner, Corey Bank, for the Daily Dash. You don't want to miss it. We'll be back with Corey. Yeah. Stick around. And welcome back to the show. I've got my broadcast partner and co-host, Corey Bank.
0: On for the Daily Dash. Corey, how's it going? It's going great, Richard. It's been a crazy parody of games this past weekend for the NFL.
1: Oh, it has. It has. And we're going to get to your New York Jets, who are the surprise team of the NFL. They had a huge upset against the Buffalo Bills, 20 to 17. Falcons lost a game they should have won. You had a snooze fest the prime time game between the Buccaneers and the Rams. But Tom Brady, never give him less than a minute with no timeouts. I kind of projected that to happen. And then the Chiefs had to get overtime to beat the Tennessee Titans, who for some reason are just running the ball with Derrick Henry. And they don't have a quarterback that could pass. But, Corey, we've had some very interesting games in the National Football League. Let's recap some of the games for NFL Week 9. Let's start with that Atlanta-Los Angeles Chargers game where the Falcons uh, lost 20-17 to on a crazy fumble right at the end. Chargers win it on a last-second field goal. And Atlanta doesn't really have a vertical passing threat, but they continue to run the football very well, rushing over 200 yards. Corey, what's your thoughts on that game?
0: So Marcus Mariota in the game, Richard, he stepped up as a quarterback. We saw him be the leader that he needed to. So he was making this set throws on slant routes over the middle of the field to his targets in that regard. They were getting the running game going, Richard, their offense in that regard that changed the dynamic. Now the Falcons were fighting very hard even though they came up With a loss this week against the Chargers. Justin Herbert is just showing that he's had a lot of poise in the pocket. He was able to survey the field and make necessary throws, despite the fact that he had his great Swiss Army Knife running back, Austin Eckler, right with him, who had a very decent day. I thought it was interesting that they made that the officials made a call where they thought his knee was down. I don't think his knee was down in instant replay. It would have definitely made a difference, even more so in the ball game. It wouldn't have been as close. I thought Austin Eckler was still up. That was a very debatable play in that regard. But this Falcons team, there's no doubt that they are fighting. They got a good kicker with young Hoku. He's been really putting it together. Kyle Pitts has been coming of his own as a Army Knight tight end wide receiver. So it seems like there's been a matchup where he's been able to survey the field and make it happen. Now Cordell Patterson has been rushing the ball very frequently and very well, getting into the end zone for the Falcons and driving piles. I mean, this Falcons team really putting it together, Walker at the linebacker position, filling and stuffing hole's, So even though they fell to this game, they fell this game, Richard, to the Chargers, you have to like the way they're playing. And that's what I think about this team.
1: You're absolutely right. The Falcons are playing tough They're in just about every game. But, Corey, how about your New York Jets? Six and three, they defeat the Buffalo Bills 20 to 17. They're doing it with defense. And I know Brees Hall has been lost for the season. Elijah Vera Tucker lost for the season but the Jets are playing hard for their head coach, Robert Sala. And I think he is an early candidate for coach of the year.
0: He certainly is. It's incredible what they're putting together. Despite their strong start, there were questions going into this game, Richard. How legitimate was Robert Sala's jets? Well, they answered those questions. They won against a team that they were 11 and a half point underdog, 20 to 17. So, this upset comes at a point where the Jets are sitting a half a game out of first place. Things that don't happen. Quarterback Josh Allen throwing two interceptions in the ball game. And it's incredible that this Jets team came back. At one point in the game, they were down 14 to three. They came back, and Zach Wilson was not throwing the ball away. He was playing his complimentary football with arguably his best game in the Big Apple. Now, he did make a touchdown pass throw to James Robinson. Welcome to the Jets, James Robinson. But you have to talk about the play of Michael Carter. He's been carrying the ball very well in that last game, and he showed exactly why he is a dependable back. Running between the tackles, bouncing off defenders, and getting outside. They were giving him a lot of creases, and openings, and they were getting to Josh Allen. They sacked him five times in the game. It's impressive what they're putting together in this one. Quentin Williams being part of it. C.J. Mosley's stuffing it up, and Sauce Gardner showing exactly why he is in the running for Rookie of the Year. But the amazing part is that I think he's an all-pro corner already, but then you got to talk about D.J. Reed. Both of them are locked down corners, and that's just amazing. So guys like Denzel Mims, stepping up, who's had a very tough time in New York, but he made two crucial catches in crunch time, and they shut down Stephon Diggs. Yes, they did. He had 93 yards all in the first half, and this team is playing with a lot of confidence, and they got to continue the pass rush, complimentary football. Keep running the ball and let your young quarterback know that your defense is by his side.
1: All right, two disappointing teams were playing on the CBS primetime game. The Los Angeles Rams defending Super Bowl champions have had a disappointing season. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have also had a disappointing season. You know, these two teams met in the playoffs last year in that crazy divisional game, but Tom Brady, which I written him off. I thought that he was struggling up to this point. The Rams punt the football back, give him forty four seconds left to go with no timeouts, down thirteen to nine. And if you had Tom Brady's going to march down and and score, and score a touchdown to a rookie tied in on your bingo card, you've won. So yeah, Tom Brady has proved all the doubters once again, and he pulls it out. Although this game really wasn't all that exciting till the end.
0: It really wasn't, and it's true. Both these teams, disappointing so far in the year, but it was a rematch of the divisional round playoff game here. So both teams have come a long way since then, but not in a good way. So Tom Brady and Matthew Stafford Richard enter week nine into that point where they were both below 50%, but the Bucks they really actually won this game, a close game, snapping their losing streak. But the win was not pretty. To be sure, Mike Evans and Scotty Miller, each struggling in their own right, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense at home, suddenly, inexplicably, Tom Brady put it together and they needed the drives. Now, Cooper Cup not playing as good as he needs to in the game, but in that regard, the reason why the Bucs really won this football game is the Los Angeles team, Refusal to put the ugly game away certainly helped. But let's look at the positives. Tom Brady, he still has it. Even if the rest of this team does not. Offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, who's never met a second and short running play, he doesn't love that. But the Julio Jones predictably limped off to leave Brady throwing to an infected crew headline by Mike Evans and Scotty Miller. Even so, Brady kept firing the ball, catchable bullets. But the thing is, is that TB12, he got it done where it was counted most. Now, it's been a tough year. But Todd Bowles' defense may be the reason that they won. They're cranking it up a bit. Uh, Vita Vea having a great game, stout, over the middle of the field, clogging up holes. Devin really putting it together. And it's really... The defensive backfield and the linebackers stuffing up holes, creating havoc in the backfield is the real reason why this Bucks team puts it together. And mere fact that Cooper Cup did not have his best day.
1: All right, let's talk about the Sunday night game, the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. The Titans want to just run the football with Derrick Henry to keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines. But Patrick Mahomes was still... Passing for over 440 yards killed me on my fantasy team because the other guy had Patrick Mahomes. But the Titans played it close. The Chiefs were able to pull off the victory in overtime. Corey, are the Kansas City Chiefs now the favorites to represent the AFC in the Super
0: Bowl? They certainly definitely look that way into the game, playing stout, helping out quarterback Patrick Mahomes. They put it together in this overtime victory, 20 to 17. This Kansas City team found itself trailing at one point in the game, Titans 17 to 9, with just over seven minutes left to play in regulation, facing a third to 17 situation. What do they do? Mahomes scrambled for 20 yards. My goodness, is he dynamic? His arm angle and action is exactly why he is different from the other quarterbacks in the game. The game seems to be in slow motion. His different arm angles are very hard for defenses to pick up, and it's very apparent. So in that overtime drive, Mahomes again put together a go-ahead scoring drive. The Chiefs marched down the field 64 yards down to, to set up Harrison Bucker on a 28-yard field goal. Now the defense took care of business. Malik was young quarterback rookie out of Liberty, so it's been a task that they've had to have where they've had to rely on King Henry. Derrick Henry rushed 115 yards in the game, two touchdowns, dynamic back that he is, driving piles, getting out to the second level. He's been one of the most durable backs in the last five years, Richard. And it's the reason why they were in this football game. But Mahomes went 43-63 for 446 yards. That is an astounding stat. Why did the Chiefs win this game? The Chiefs desperately needed some run game going, and they got it with Isaiah Pacheco and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Jerick McKinnon. Yes, a running back by committee actually really needed to get it done, but they were inefficient. But So Patrick Mahomes had to take matters into his own hands, and he was a leading rusher on a team where they've been having a hard time opening up holes he has 63 yards rushing in the game, but when it matters most, put the game in Mahomes' hand, and he will make it shine.
1: Corey, as always, great to have you on the show for the Daily Dash. I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight at Ivy Park Sports
0: Bar and Grill for the 500th episode. Yes, it's going to be a great time at, at Ivy Park Sports Bar. We get the opportunity to talk with the Columbus Rapids coaches, players, it should be a great time out there at Ivy Park Sports Bar and most importantly, the
1: Columbus Lions. Absolutely, Corey. Thank you so much once again. Always uh, a pleasure, Richard. All right, we'll be back with Justin Dale. You don't want to go anywhere. Back with Justin. Welcome back to the show. On the show today, I've got my Tuesday guest. Justin, you're moving up in the world. How's it feel to be the Tuesday guest on what's considered episode 499.
2: Oh, I see. You bumped me down so I wouldn't be on the 500 show. I, I got you, so I'm going to miss out on that one. But, no, no, no that's great. I'm man. doing that
1: live at Ivy Park Sports Bar and Grill.
2: Oh, nice. That's awesome, man. No, that's great. I I, honestly, I appreciate you having me on the show. Anytime you want to have me is fine. Um, I, I enjoy coming on here and talking about Atlanta sports. And uh, a lot of big stuff's happened, uh, not
1: just uh, Georgia sports, but national sports, too, in the last, last week. Times are great at the University of Georgia as that was a dominant performance by the defense. Six sacks, the high-scoring offense of Tennessee was only held to 13 points. And can we already give Stetson Bennett the Heisman? What a performance by the Georgia Bulldogs. And what about that crowd? Justin, is Georgia got the clearest path to make it to the college football playoff and win another national championship? They have
2: a very clear path now, yes. Um, After beating Tennessee and what was, like you said, a very dominant performance over the Volunteers, uh, they do. They're, They're the only undefeated team left in the SEC. They're one of, I think, maybe four or five undefeated teams left in the country at this point. They have marquee wins now over Tennessee as well as Oregon back at the beginning of the year. Uh, their resume is, speaks for itself. I know, it's, you know it, there's been times, a few games back there, that game against Missouri uh, didn't look pretty. You know, the game against Kent State wasn't the best performance you know, earlier in the season, but this team has stuck together. They, they've continued to play well. They, they, they've had some hits. You know, they lost Nolan Smith for the year. On the defense, Uh, on the good side, they got Jalen Carter back. Jalen Carter looked healthy finally. When he was out, it felt like the defense took a step back with Jalen Carter not there. With him in there, that defensive line is very disruptive. And uh, Georgia just didn't look like it missed a beat, not having Nolan Smith out there, not having a couple of their DBs as well out there. It was a very dominant performance. They they won up in the trenches. Um, They kept the ball away from Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee had some terrible stats, Um, you know, they're two for 14 on third down conversions. That's just awful. You're not going to win too many games doing that. Uh, They had to go for fourth down a lot. They were actually three for five on fourth down. A good bit. Uh, turnovers, well, each team had two turnovers, I guess, uh, in the game. But Georgia Georgia, in the time of possession was pretty even 31 minutes, 29 minutes uh, there. But Georgia just, the, the stats were better. They outrushed them. They actually outpassed them 257 to 195. And Georgia just looked like clearly the better team on the field. Uh, having home field advantage is huge. You know, going on in a hostile environment in the SEC is tough. Uh, I remember in 2017 when Georgia was having that, their magical year, you know, five years ago and they walked into Auburn and just got, they just got stomped. Um, You know, being on the road there at Jordan Air, it was a loud environment, hostile. We had a true freshman quarterback at that time and we just didn't play well. You know, we got a chance a month later to play Auburn again in the SEC championship game and get our revenge and win, and win the SEC title and get to the playoff that year. But, you know, it's, it was it's tough to win road games in the sec and i I feel like the, the georgia crowd showed up that place was packed there was a lot of red uh there wasn't as much orange which i was glad to see um and the place got loud i think i saw on twitter they said it reached 127 decibels on the field i think at one point the crowd noise did and so when you're talking about that kind of level of crowd noise it's no wonder tennessee had seven false start penalties in the game
1: All right, Justin, I do want to talk about upcoming matchups for the Georgia Bulldogs. The night game next week in Starkville, you're going to hear a lot of cowbells. I think this is the perfect matchup for Georgia because you have a man-to-man defense going up against an air raid offense. I expect about five interceptions from the secondary. Uh, I think that's just a bad matchup for Mississippi State, especially they almost lost to Auburn. And then you got to play at Kentucky, Georgia Tech, really you know what's funny, uh, Justin, with Georgia Tech's win over Virginia Tech, and I think they're going to beat Miami. Georgia Tech could be sitting there at five and six, knowing they're going to a bowl game if they beat Georgia. <laughs>
2: yeah, if, they, if, if it's the big question there. Um, if, yes, of course. If it's the big question there, if they could beat Georgia. Um, but yeah, Georgia Tech. You know they've 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 had a rough season, lost their head coach and everything. But if they finish. You know, five, even if they finished five and seven on the season, that's a, um, that's not, that's pretty, that's not bad for a team that's gone through the adversity they've gone through this year. Honestly, could have been a lot worse to be, to be, uh, tell you the truth. But, but yeah, that, you know, this game, Georgia should, you know, and the key word is here should, they should have no problem with Mississippi State. Um, they do match up very well. Georgia plays a lot of man to man. That's something that they've really, since kind of back at the, the national championship game last year, they did against Alabama they went more man on them and had success in keeping them from scoring points uh, they did it against Tennessee and honestly I was kind of a little bit like man if you have to go man to man on these guys you're going to get we're going to get in trouble but they 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 locked them down you know they locked they locked them down and so I do expect maybe some turnovers in this game for Mississippi State I know it's going to be a night game uh, you know Georgia's only other night game was Missouri and they didn't quite show up for that one so I'm a little bit worried but, um, that they don't show up again, but I'm hoping I'm hoping they you know the Georgia these Georgia teams, Kirby Smart, they don't fall into these trap game situations where they have a big emotional win and then come off and um, play poorly the next week. At least we haven't seen that in a few years now. I think they've gotten past some of that. And so I think I think the boys will be ready to play there in Mississippi State. And if they win that game, there's only one SEC game left, and they've already got a one game lead on Kentucky, so they should be able to clinch the east with a win against Mississippi State this weekend.
1: Justin, I want to talk about that Alabama-LSU game because Let's talk what a it. gutsy call by Brian Kelly. You know, Justin, Brian Kelly can say a Southern accent. He could say family however he wants now. I mean, he's won over the LSU fan base. What a gutsy call going for two. This is the earliest Alabama's ever had two losses since 2010. I mean, I don't think the dynasty is over, but they're out of the college football playoff picture. I mean, this is shocking. Yeah,
2: this is, this is absolutely shocking. Um, it's been—I had to look it up myself because it's been a while. I was like, "When was the last time Alabama had more than one loss in the regular season?" But you're right; it was 2010 was the uh, last time they did. And yeah, it's just—you know—I don't—I'm with you. I don't think the dynasty's over with yet. I think—I think there are noticeable cracks in the dynasty. Um, but I don't think it's over with yet. I think as long as Nick Saban's breathing, the dynasty won't end. But, yeah, Alabama just hasn't looked – they really haven't looked like the Alabama we're accustomed to. Um, last year they they looked really good. They had their moments, but they looked good overall. This year they just haven't looked like themselves at all. Um, very undisciplined team at times. The penalties have killed them. They had so many penalties, 16, 17 penalties in the game against Tennessee. They had another like 15 against Texas earlier this year. Um, but I mean, really, there's there's four games right now. You look at Alabama's schedule and and and, and that they, they could have had four losses, honestly. They played close against AM. AM could have pulled off a win against them. Texas could have certainly beat them back at the beginning of the season. So there were some close calls there. Tennessee did beat them, and now they've lost to LSU. But yes, very gutsy call from Brian Kelly. You're in overtime. You could have easily just kicked a the point there and just said, All right, we'll go another overtime, we'll try it again. Um, But he just he liked what he saw and he said, we're going to go for it right here. We're going to either win this game or we're not. (laughs) And so um, gutsy call pulled it off, pulled off that upset. But I think you kind of when you're playing a team like Alabama, you've got to take your chances at times if you want to beat them Uh, playing playing too conservative at times will get will get you beat by them. Um, most of the time. And so, yeah, it was great. You know, and I'm honestly, I was, I was the biggest Brian Kelly doubter when they hired him. I was like, this isn't going to work. He's going to be terrible at LSU. He's probably going to be fired in a couple of seasons and they'll have to go through this all over again. But, and honestly, after that game that, you know, that Florida state game, they played early in the season, I was kind of, i that kind of reaffirmed my doubts over him going to LSU, but this team is that team has turned around and they're playing very, very good right now. And it's it's hard to go down to LSU playing Death Valley at night. I mean, that crowd gets wild. They get loud. Um, so, you knew it was going to be a tough atmosphere for Alabama to play in. But kudos to LSU for pulling out that win. Um, and now it looks like they're on a collision course with, um, with the dogs to meet in Atlanta here in a few weeks.
1: All right, Justin. So, it looks like the matchup, because LSU beat Alabama, LSU – has the tiebreaker against Alabama and Ole Miss. Their schedule looks favorable at Arkansas. They're playing Texas A&M. I believe LSU is going to play Georgia in the SEC championship. And I'm a little worried. I think that Georgia matches up well with Alabama. What do you think of the matchup between Georgia and LSU? And does LSU have a chance to beat Georgia and possibly get into the college football playoff as a two-loss SEC champion?
2: So I think that LSU proposes – let me start, start it over. LSU um, proposes some unique challenges for Georgia um, in the game against them, uh, the mobile quarterback being the big one. Um, but I, I do like Georgia's um, – you know, the fact they play a lot of man, so they'll, they'll probably put a spy on the quarterback, uh, to try to keep him in check. And um, you know, I, I still think Georgia's defense. They th- this is a team that steps up and plays their best when the light when the when the lights are brightest. At least they have in, in the last couple of years now. And you know, they handled the pressure against Tennessee and their high powered offense. A lot of people thought that Tennessee was going to throw the ball all over our defense, and they didn't. Um, I do think that there's some challenges there for sure with LSU. Um, I, but I think if Georgia shows up and plays defense the way they did against Tennessee they can beat LSU uh now your question can can LSU beat Georgia certainly I think they can they're good enough to do it um, especially if Georgia doesn't come in and play very sharp uh Georgia's had trouble playing in Mercedes-Benz stadiums in the SEC championship game the last few years for whatever reason it's been kind of one of those it's been one of those things you know we've we've won a national championship and we've won the east you know, five of the last six years, I guess now, but we've only won one SEC championship, and that was back in 2017. So um, we've had some trouble in that game for whatever reason, but I think um, I think Georgia can get over those mental hurt, mental humps and maybe chase those demons of Mercedes Benz stadiums away to to win this SEC title this time around for themselves. But now, flip side of that, let's talk about college football playoffs. So can LSU make it in as a two loss SEC champion if they win the title? I, I think there's some other things that would have to happen for that, for that to become true. I don't, I don't foresee. If things stay status quo right now, I don't foresee LSU even with the SEC championship making the playoff. I really don't. Um, I think if Georgia is 12 and 0 and go into this game, I think they're probably in regardless if they win that game or not. And I know that sounds like I'm not putting a lot of stock in the SEC championship itself, it's not that it's just, I think you look at resume, you look at records um, that have to go into that too for those four spots. And I think Georgia, if they have one loss and in, in even at 12 and one has the resume and the wins to probably at least make the field of four to make the playoff. I don't know. I just don't know if LSU, they would have the win over Georgia and the sec title, but that would be about it that they would have and the win over Alabama. And that would be their two biggest, biggest things on their resume. Um, but then you look at the rest, there's, there's, there's a lot that can happen. TCU's undefeated still. If they win the Big 12, could they sneak into the uh, college football playoff with a, with a, with a 12-0 and or 13-0 schedule and schedule and a Big 12 championship? Sure. Um, I, I think if there's a few, I think TCU would have to lose um, for maybe for LSU to get in for sure. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, they're, they're going to play each other here soon. One of those teams are going to lose and probably knock the other one out. Um, but there's there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of teams that will probably be in the conversation for this this year, um, even Tennessee. Tennessee's not out of this by any means. Uh, they've got a great resume, only the one loss, and it was to us. If they finish 11-1, and one, they are certainly still in the conversation to make the field of four as well. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think if LSU wins it, it, it creates some chaos <laughs> into the system for sure. But I, I do think that it would take some of these other teams losing – and maybe having a a few more one-loss conference champions in order for LSU to get in, even with the SEC title.
1: All right, Justin, let's switch gears and let's talk about the Atlanta Falcons. They had the – oh, man, they had a shot to win that game. They should have won that game. They're at home. They're Mm -hmm. taking on an inconsistent Los Angeles Chargers team. I thought the ground game did well. They still don't have – I. A dynamic quarterback that can go toe to toe with an elite quarterback like Justin Herbert. Once nope. again, Falcons had a 10 0 lead. It looked like they were in control of this game. And but the biggest thing for me is, Justin, you know, the defense holds the Chargers to a field goal and it's 17 17. You need to go and score. And they had a three and out, gave the Chargers the football back, that crazy fumble play. I don't get me started on that. Uh, Justin what are your thoughts about this game Uh, and really we can't be too harsh on the Falcons because this is a rebuilding year there's a lot of good it was nice to see Cordell Patterson back in the starting lineup but still it's so frustrating I mean the Falcons every now and then they'll do something like this
2: yeah they still like to show the you know the ugly head of what we've seen before with the with these Pat with previous years Falcons teams that's for sure um, this was a – honestly, I think the way to sum this up is a missed opportunity. Uh, the Falcons had a chance to get over five hundred. They had a chance to win this game. That you can probably say, yes, they should have won this game, uh, but it, it, they didn't. Um, I think you can, you can point to a few things. It's not on one person. I know a lot of people want to th- continue to throw shade at Marcus Mariota, uh, and certainly he needs to play better um, for sure, but he's not the only reason why this team lost this game. Um, you know, there's, there's some, there's some passes he should have hit. He had a long deep pass to, I think, uh, or attempted to make one to Kyle Pitts that he overthrew him on. Um, and there was, uh, you know, you said the fumble play, which, which is at, which was absolutely crazy. Uh, but this team, um, they've just got to, they've got to play more consistent at, you know, over the course of four quarters. Um, you know, it's not so much in years past we would see a team that would play pretty good maybe for three quarters and then just, you know, drop it in the fourth. Uh, this team kind of has its ebbs and flows throughout the game where it's actually like the first quarter looked pretty good. Second quarter, they look terrible. Um, and so they just, you know, it kind of come comes and goes as the game goes on. Uh, the defense as well, um, you know, uh, Richie Grant had another interception, which was great to see him playing well. Uh, but, you know, defense is, you know, continuing to, to try to do their job. They like said they're holding them to field goals, which is what you want to do uh, against a team like the Chargers that can score pretty quickly on you and has a good offense. You want to try to hold them to field goals as much as possible. Uh, it was good to see Cordero Patterson back. He had uh, 13 carries for 44 yards with two touchdowns. And I was great. It was great to see him back on the field. Uh, Tyler Algier actually led, though, uh, with 10 carries for 99 yards. So he had a good game as well. And I think you're going to continue to see Patterson and Algier um, probably continue to be that one-two punch with uh, with Caleb Huntley back there as well uh, to provide some relief at times, too, on the running game. Um, I, the Falcons are probably going to stick with Mariota right now because they feel like he, he, he gives them the best chance to win. Games and so I think unless he has just a a super huge drop in performance, we're still not going to see Desmond Ritter and see what he can do yet because he's just you know his his Desmond Ritter is a rookie and he's such a unknown. We just don't know what you're going to get with him. You know the offense could be even worse than what it is at times with him because he's a rookie. I, I don't know. But for all the talk, I think we hear sometimes of you know when Mariota's is not playing well, we want to see Ridman Ritter, we want to see Ritter. I think we need to just calm the jets on that a little bit and not get um, not too much on that. Cause Mariota is a, you know, he's, he's not an elite quarterback by any, by any stretch of the imagination. He's not the long-term answer at the quarterback position for the Falcons, but for the 2022 Falcons, he gives them the best chance to win games right now. And so I think we're going to be playing, you know, he's going to be there unless there's an injury. I think he's going to be the guy out there on the field for us, but yeah, it's a, um, it's a rebuilding year. Like I said, this team they can, they they are at least playing. They're in games. Um, they don't they haven't been blown out really all season, which is good to see. Um, so there is there's positives on this team. Kyle Pitts did have a couple of receptions for 27 yards. Uh, Drake London had three receptions for 23 yards. So it's just getting the ball into these playmakers' hands. You know, the passing game just wasn't wasn't as good as it could have been. Uh, getting the ball into these receivers' hands will, will help. But, um, but you know, the Falcons are obviously a run-first team right now with Patterson and Algier leading the way. But, yeah, I think this is a, it's a missed opportunity. But it's one I think they'll learn from and get better at. The Falcons travel out to Carolina next weekend, uh, play the Panthers again, a team they just played, you know, previous week. Um, and so uh, they'll have a good chance to try to get back to five hundred uh, this weekend.
1: Absolutely. They have a short week. They travel up to Carolina. This is the Amazon Prime game on Thursday night. We'll actually be watching this game. A lot of these Thursday night games on Amazon Prime have been snoozers. I mean, they've had some really bad teams, but a lot of people want to see this rematch. I mean, the Falcons beat the Panthers and really should have lost the game. And we have a quarterback controversy in Carolina. I mean, P.J. Walker was binged. The Panthers got drubbed by the Bengals, and in comes Baker Mayfield. I mean, I expect the Falcons to win. I mean, right now, I know we're we're recording this on uh, Monday night, so we don't know the outcome of the Saints-Ravens game on Monday night football, but we could have a three-way tie for first place in the NFC South between the Buccaneers, Falcons, and the Saints.
2: Right. It, it is. It's it's going to be a close division. I think, I think things are going to stay close like this all year. Um, I don't think any one of these teams will have a chance to get in a wild card spot. Um, but I do think that they all three have a chance to win this division and probably get to host the playoff game if they do. And so, um, you know, this is the, the chance and the Falcons schedule lines up pretty well. We Like I said, we've talked about it before. They've got some, they've got some winnable games coming up. Um, you know, they've got you know, the Panthers, the Bears, uh, even the Steelers, Steelers are not playing that well this year, um, so they've got some really good winnable games on their schedule. They just need to play a little more consistently and uh, try to, you know, win these, win as many of these games as they can. And I think they'll be at least towards the end of the season, they'll be right there with Tampa Bay and even New Orleans in trying to win this division.
1: All right, Justin, let's talk about the Hawks. The Atlanta <laughs> Hawks are six and three. They had an overtime win over the New Orleans Pelicans. They play the Bucs tonight. The Bucs are the only undefeated team in the NBA. I love the one-two punch of Trey Murray. ah, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. Yep. I kind of feel John Collins needs to be more consistent. I'd like to see more out of their bench. I know it's early in the NBA season, but the Hawks are starting to you know, make the turn and uh, start to become a very good team.
2: Yeah, I've liked what I've seen from them over the last week. They beat, you know, they, they last Monday they lost to the Raptors. Uh, we talked about that I think last week in the podcast. But yeah, they played. They played the the Knicks back on uh, Wednesday the second. They beat them one twelve to ninety nine, and um, a pretty solid effort there. Um, you know, when Trey Young loves playing in New York, he's the villain of the Knicks. That's for sure. He he embraces that. And then yeah, this overtime win against the Pelicans one twenty four one twenty one. Uh, you know, good, good win there at home. Overtime, they're six and three on the season. Um, they're playing well. Yeah. The, the, the Trey Young, the John to Murray connection has been really good out there. Um, I do think John Collins needs to be a little more consistent. That's been, but that's probably been my biggest complaint of John Collins for the last two years. <laughs> he needs to be more consistent. Um, if he could play the way that we've all seen him play in the past with young and with Murray, we could, I mean, they could have a big three that would that would rival anybody in the NBA, just about, especially young big three like that. Um, but this Hawks team's good. You know they're they're playing really well. They got the Bucks. Bucks are tough. Um, they did play the Bucks. I think back on yeah on the 29th. they played them. They lost one twenty three one fifteen. So that was a closer game. They did play them. So I, you know I, I do feel like they can play with the Bucks. You know and stuff like that. This one will be at home. That that game was in Milwaukee. This one will be at home. And so we'll see what happens tonight with that game. But, yeah, the Hawks are looking, they're looking good. They're, they're definitely an exciting team to watch. Justin,
1: I'm excited. College basketball starts tonight. Georgia is playing Western Carolina. But the big game I want to see this Friday, Veterans Day, they're playing Wake Forest on the ACC network. The Mike White era begins at the University of Georgia. Now, Georgia basketball has had great players play at the University of Georgia, including Anthony Edwards. The fact that they got Ant-Man to play at the University of Georgia, I was always a fan of those Mark Fox teams that had Trey Tompkins and Travis Leslie, but my Mm -hmm. favorite Georgia basketball team was the one with Sundania Gaines, the one that actually went to the tournament in 2008 under uh, Dennis Felton. But uh, Georgia's had great players like Dominique Wilkins, Vern Fleming, Jumaine Jones. I think that Georgia – has the facilities but do you think that when your football team is the primary focus that you could find a way to recruit in basketball and georgia basketball could be good once again
2: it's been it's tough sledding um for georgia basketball always has been um part of it part of it does seem like the school you know the school seems to put a lot of emphasis on the football program and and schools will do that you know um most it's hard to find. There's not, there's not a lot of schools that are better that are good basketball and football schools. Some are just better in one or the other. You know, you look at Duke and North Carolina, they have, you know, they're the top of the top in college basketball, but yet in football, they're non-existent, you know, and stuff like that. And you go, you look at Georgia, they're, you know, top of the, top of the world in college football and their basketball team is just not quite on that par yet. I think some of it has been coaching, you know, when Mark's Fox was there, they had a, you know, they didn't, they didn't have a lot of good year or great years, but they had several good years or at least respectable years with him. And then they tried to make some changes because um, they wanted to try to elevate that program, and it, it just didn't work out with Tom Crean and some of the other ones in the past. And so um, now they've, they're trying it with Mike White. I like Mike White a lot. He had he had success with Florida. Um, you know, he just needed a change of scenery, and I think the Gators did too out of there. And so I, you know, we'll see, but I think Mike White can make this program respectable again. I don't know if Georgia will ever be a powerhouse in basketball. I don't know if he'll ever be one of those teams that are constantly getting in at a high seed, you know, in the, in the tournament, but I, w- I would like to see Georgia. And I think a lot of Georgia fans would like to see Georgia be more consistent in that they could make the tournament on a more regular basis rather than, you know, once, once a decade or something like that, making the NCAA field a tournament. So um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't have a whole, I don't have a ton of expectations for this season, being in his first, first season at the, at the, uh, at the helm. I don't usually put, I try not to put high expectations on new coaches anywhere for any of my teams the first year because, like, you know, they got to get the program going and stuff. So we'll, you know, I got low air expectations, but we'll play out. We'll see what it looks like with, with him there and hope that, you know, maybe they'll surprise me and play, play better than I expect. But, um, but yeah, I think maybe a couple of two or three years. After he's been in the program, get some of his recruits in there that he wants. You know, I expect to see a better product on the field or on the court, I should say, for Georgia basketball.
1: Justin, here's my expectations for Georgia. More than six wins. <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean,
2: <laughs> which is not a
1: high expectation to have. But yes, it's not, but it, I,
2: I, I expect more than six wins too. I mean, last year was brutal. Let's just be honest. Last year was absolutely yeah. brutal of a season. For us. I think for me, the highlight was we beat Alabama. <laughs> you know, one of those six wins was against the tide. So I was happy about that. But other than that, uh, it was a brutal season for Georgia basketball. Um, and Tom Crean was out the door as soon as not even before I think right around time it ended or before, right before it ended, one of the two. But um, but yeah, I, I expect, you know, you would hope <laughs> Mike White can give us more than six wins on the season. Um so yes, I do definitely expect that. But as far as like, you know, seating and where I expect Georgia to be, um I I don't have much expectations other than yes, at least maybe a double digits and wins would be nice, you know, this year.
1: (laughs) So Justin, as always, great having you on the show. I appreciate you coming on every week with your insight talking about Georgia sports. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it. Anytime. All right, that was my Tuesday guest, Justin Dale, joining me on the show. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day. I hope you can all join me at Ivy Park tomorrow for my 500th episode. It's going to be off the hook. And I hope everybody has a great rest of your day and talk to you later. Bye, everybody.